0: I was, was having a difficult time because during that time, I'm going to preach that Sunday, but during the week, I know that there was a storm coming. So I plotted my course, a three-day drive to Florida. And by the time I reached Houston, Texas, I know that the storm is already at the Gulf of Mexico. So I'm, I'm pretty okay with that. Uh, I told myself there's nothing to worry. The storm will pass before I even get there but by the time I reached the Baton Rouge all the way to Mobile, Alabama, uh, in fact, the storm already passed a couple of hours after. And that morning, while I was driving, I saw houses without roofs, cars that are overturned, and people sitting on their porches trying to collect themselves and picking up their lives again. And I realized, these are good sermon materials. That's uh, just a joke. <laughs> it's a joke. But of course, that Sunday, I will be preaching from Exodus, and I will be preaching from the suffering of the people and the call of Moses so that the people of Israel will be saved by God again. So it gave me a better picture of what suffering looks like and how God is redeeming the people from those tragedies in life. It gave me a better perspective, a bigger picture, so to speak. But just as when I thought that the storm had left, I I was already at that time third leg in Pensacola when I met that storm. So I told myself it was was the third day, there's no more storm, I'm gonna head out early in the morning. So at 5 a.m. I started driving. It was in Pensacola, two-lane drive at I-10. It was pitch dark, it was drizzling with rain, And I told myself, this is the best time to drive. So I started driving. I'm doing about 70 to 80 miles an hour. And suddenly on the fast lane, there was a dead trunk in front of me. There was no time to react. And I jerked my wheel to the right without even having the ability to see from the right mirror if there's an oncoming car. I jerked my wheel and missed the trunk just in time. And then, and then the blood rushed to my head. My head. Again, I realized, man, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> I should have been a race car driver. Now, I realized I was not wearing my driving glasses. I have my driving glasses. My driving glasses will allow me to see farther if I wear them. So at that point, I thanked the Lord for sparing my life, uh, blessing me with that, you know, saving me from that catastrophe, uh, But then I I started wearing my eyeglasses, and then it gave me a better perspective, uh, a bigger picture of what's gonna happen. I think our ability to see the big picture will lead us into make better decisions and fewer mistakes. And that's our topic for today. How many of you have deliberately made mistakes in the past for the exact reason that you were not able to see the big picture? All right, all of us, all of us can identify with that. Now there are many reasons why can cannot we cannot see the big picture, and usually wisdom comes with age. And I I don't plan to discriminate on anyone, but usually and normally the young, who does not have, or does not have the ability to, from experience, to make decisions, big decisions on their life, because they were young, have made deliberate mistakes. Especially in the areas of choosing relationships, choosing friends, choosing career, managing time and resources by trial and error. We have done that in the past. We have made mistakes because we have tried it through trial and error. But the real tragedy, I believe, is that when people who have grown enough, who are old enough, still make the same mistakes. Albert Einstein calls this insanity. What is insanity? Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting the same, uh, sorry, Uh, doing the same things over and over again and expecting different results, insanity. And we have been doing that, some of us. But today I want to talk about how to focus on the big picture without even losing sight of the small important details in our lives so that we can make better choices and fewer mistakes. Now, we can learn from the story of Joshua. This particular chapter in the book of Joshua, chapter six, deals with the story of god's pattern how he deals with us in history and how he deals with people so that if we can caught up this idea this pattern of how god works in history this will give us an edge this will allow us to walk with god so to speak to walk where god walks we will understand the will of god in our lives and so we can make better choices better decisions fewer mistakes let's read from chapter six verses 1 through 5. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. If you have your Bibles, your cell phones, your iPads with you, you can turn with me or you can look at the screen if we have that. It says, Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and its mighty man of valor, You shall march around the city, all the men of war, going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. That means they're going to walk around the city of Jericho for six days. And then seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, When you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great sound, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. This is a a very interesting interesting story about how they attacked the city of Jericho, how Jericho fell that day. Now for those who are unfamiliar with the story of uh, Jericho, now Joshua was the replacement of Moses. If if you watch the Ten Commandments, if you watch the parting of the Red Sea, there was Charlton Heston, the man with the peppered uh, hair. He was Moses. But then he died at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, and Joshua, the younger one, replaced him. This is Joshua now at this point. Joshua is the one who ushered the people across the Jordan River towards the Promised Land. And at this point, they are already in the enemy's territory. And the nearest city after the Jordan River is the city of Jericho. Jericho is believed to be a very well-defended city, double-walled city, full of inhabitants who are both afraid and angry at that time. So imagine you are Joshua leading the people of Israel, and there is Jericho, the city full of people who are so violently angry with, with them. The whole land of Canaan at this point is known for their brutality, for temple prostitution, for child sacrifice, and the list goes on and on. And this is one of the reasons why God determined that the city of Jericho will be destroyed from history because of these practices. Now, the question is how? How are the people of Israel going to destroy the city? This is a very big task for them. Number one, they didn't have the experience and capability to fight wars. Remember, they were slaves from Egypt. They fought two wars from Moab in, in Edom, but that's it. But they don't have the capability as the people of Jericho have. So how are they going to defeat the people in Jericho? How are they going to destroy the walls of Jericho? This is a big task for them. Now, God gave them instructions In a series of sevens, now when we read this, you will see from verse 3, all following to verse 5, that there are seven series. What is this for? It says that there will be seven priests marching around the city, blowing seven trumpets for seven days, and on the seventh day, they will march seven more times and then shout. Hooray! Surprise! The Bible didn't didn't see that but they will shout all together, 777, seven. what could this be? What is this 777? Seven, seven, seven? Now, when I first read this, I realized 7777, seven, 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 four sevens, is a good number for a lottery ticket. <laughs> now, seriously, number seven is from the Genesis creation account. God said that he created everything in the heavens and earth for six days. And the seventh day, he hallowed it, he made it the Lord's day, the Sabbath day. So when six days are completed, that's the operative word, completed, he made the seventh day to celebrate for the first six days of creation. That's why we have seven days. Sabbath day is Lord's day. When everything is completed, God rested. That's what the Bible said. So number seven here symbolizes completion or fullness. It's not a lucky number. Now Joshua instructed all the people to keep silent during the whole time that they were marching for seven days. And they will have to shout only on the seventh time, on the seventh day after the blowing of the trumpet. Now that why, question is why. Why would they have to be quiet? I wanna lead you into a bigger perspective here. If you've read this, many times and have not seen how this relate to one another, I'm going to give you a big picture here. This is the big picture. I'm going to give you three things here. Number one, trumpets. The trumpets here are not the brass trumpets that the the band use for making melodies. The trumpets here are ram's horns. The ram's horns, when you use it, it's not for melodious sound. It is to give noise. It's for noise. In fact, in the book of Numbers, chapter 10, verse 9, the people of Israel were... Instructed by God that in the event of war, they will blow trumpets or horns to call God's attention for help. The blowing of the trumpets or the horns is to call God's attention for help. In fact, the land of Canaan knew, even the inhabitants of the land knew, that this is not just wars between people. This is a battle against gods, against Yahweh and against the gods of Canaan. And therefore, the people of Jericho understood that when the priests were blowing horns, they were calling God for help. And they were so scared because the Ark of the Covenant was also parading, marching around the city of Jericho. That's a trumpet. That's very interesting. Now, another concept is Rosh Hashanah. Repeat after me. Rosh Hashanah. All right, that's cool. What what is Rosh Hashanah? Rosh Hashanah is the Jewish equivalent of Kung Hei Choi, the New Year. We celebrate New Year. For the Jews, it's the New Year. But not just New Year, the Rosh Hashanah for the Jews is also the Day of Judgment and the Anniversary of Creation. So three things that they celebrate during Rosh Hashanah, it's New Year, Day of Judgment, and Anniversary of Creation. It's very interesting. And what happens during the Rosh Hashanah is that they blow the ram's horns. Now at this point, not calling the attention of God, but calling the attention of the people so that they go back to their commitments to God. That's what they, why they blow the trumpets, the horns. You'll find that in Leviticus chapter 23. Now the third concept is harem, Or if you're a Jew or from that side I, uh, in the Eastern Europe, they say it with the guttural sound, with the nose, they say, herem, herem. There's uh, something in there like spitting. Now, what is herem? Herem is, "Rem" means devoted for destruction or devoted to destruction. What God told Joshua and the people of Israel is that all the inhabitants inside the city of Jericho, the men, the women, the children, the livestock and everything in it must be destroyed by fire devoted to destruction. Now that's a very complicated concept, especially in our time right now. Why is this difficult? Now, Imagine yourself, you're a farmer, and you just harvested uh, lettuces, okay? And you've distributed to all the stores uh, of your clients. And then one customer tried the lettuce and had a bad stomach and complained. And when they tested the lettuces, it has E. e. coli, bacteria. So that means all the stores will have to pull out all the lettuces in every store because everything is contaminated. Are you getting the picture? The city of Jericho is contaminated. The people, the culture, the time, even those who are deemed innocent are not innocent because they're contaminated. Temple prostitution, um, incest, child sacrifice. It is believed. That the people of Jericho sacrifice, child sacrifice almost every month. What they do is that the parents are required to offer their one-year uh, one child. And in front of Molech, uh, the Molech is a big statue with his hands like this. The fire is, is going uh, at the bottom. In his hands, it's plated iron. And the child is placed on his hands, sizzling in fire, alive, and it's said in the account that the drums are beaten louder so that the parents would not hear the child cries. It's interesting how they practice child sacrifice at this point. Uh, around 2011, 2012, and 2013, it is believed that in Uganda, child sacrifice, again, was, uh, uh, was used. They, they started doing, again, child sacrifices to bless the constructions in Uganda and Africa. This was one of the reasons why God immediately wanted the city of Jericho destroyed. Now, herem, devoted to destruction, is a complicated matter, but let's put it this way. There was a story in the Bible, in Genesis chapter 6, 7, 8, and 9, about when God deemed that the world has gone berserk, and he said, I'm going to destroy the world, and there will be flood, and everyone will be drowned. And only the, f- the family of Noah, Mrs. Noah, his three sons, and their wives, were saved, including some of the animals. If you don't have a problem with the flood, with the people drowning, then you don't have a problem with the people of Jericho. Another story uh, was there were two cities in the time of Abraham, and God said, these people are wicked because there were angels that visited the, the cities Sodom and Gomorrah, and all the men wanted to have sex with the three angels. So God said, this is too much. I'm going to destroy the city. And God torched the two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. Everyone died, including men, women, children, and livestock. So if you don't have a problem with the flood story with the Sodom and Gomorrah, you won't have a problem with the city of Jericho. Are you still with me? This is a hard topic for a rainy day. But there it is. So we got trumpets, we got Rosh Hashanah, and we got harem, devoted to destruction. Let's continue reading from verses 17 through 19. It says, In the city and all that's within shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you, now God's talking to the Israelites, but you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, You take any of the devoted things and you make camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. That means if they took interest with the devoted things and take for themselves the things that God says forbidden, the people of Israel, the camp of Israel will be contaminated and they will be a devoted thing to the Lord for destruction. Verse 19, it says, but all the silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So two things here. One is devoted to destruction by fire, and one is devoted to the treasury of God. This is very interesting because there's a pattern here, and here's the pattern and the big picture. The pattern is judgment, redemption, new creation. We're asking the question, why should they be silent during the march for seven days? That's a question here. Now we have to be very clear that this is not a military strategy. It never has been repeated during the wars of Israel. It only happened once. So this is not a military strategy. It was a demonstration of God's power to the gods of Canaan and to the people of Canaan. And if we're looking at the big picture, this is how God operates in the world. The the pattern is judgment, redemption, new creation. See, the Rosh Hashanah is the pattern. Rosh Hashanah has something to do with judgment, with new year, and then the new creation. Judgment, redemption, new creation. The march for seven days was a warning to the people of Jericho and also to the people of Israel. Why would they be quiet for seven days? Because God is warning both people in Jericho and the people who are warning uh, the people who are marching around the city of Jericho of the impending judgment. Because on the seventh day, the walls will collapse and judgment will come. The people of Israel, while they were marching for seven days, were also contemplating not to touch the devoted things for destruction or else they will become themselves devoted things for destruction. The people of Jericho were given enough warning for seven days. That's what it means. Why seven days? Because God is giving them warning. God is being patient with them. You realize on the fifth day, on the fourth day, on the third day, they could have surrendered. But they did not. They did not heed the warning of God. And this is very interesting because in history, we know that the people I- of Israel, they took some of the things that are devoted to God for destruction. They took upon themselves the idols, the cultures, intermarriage between, between the inhabitants of the land. They made alliances with the kingdoms around Canaan, and so God made them uh, devoted to destruction. We know that because in AD 70, the Romans came and destroyed the walls and the temple in Jerusalem. They become themselves the thing for destruction. So the pattern here is judgment, redemption, new creation. Let me show you uh, different patterns here. Because when you read the Bible, especially the major events in life, in the Bible, you will see patterns here with the same thing. Judgment, redemption, new creation. Take, for example, the story of Noah. There was a flood. Flood was judgment. But only the people inside the ark was saved, redemption. And then when they came out of the boat, there was a rainbow, new creation. Are you with me? When you read the Bible that way, it gives you a better picture, a bigger picture of what's happening. Take, for example, Genesis chapter 11, Tower of Babel. Are you familiar with that? Tower of Babel God said these people have one language and they are uniting against God. So God came down, confused our language, judgment. And then at the second part of chapter 11, there was the lineage of Shem. And all the way to the very bottom, that's, by the way, redemption. And all the way to the very bottom was the name of Abraham, new creation. God said, I will start with this new family to bless the world. So there's judgment, redemption, new creation. Moses. The ten plagues were judgment. There's no doubt about it. It's very obvious. And the moment that the angel of the Lord passed over the houses of the Israelites, such red- redemption. When they crossed the Red Sea and emerged to the other side, that's new creation. See, if you can read from this pattern, you will see that God does the same thing over and over again. Judgment, redemption, new creation. And here we come to Joshua having the same thing, having the same experience. Joshua will destroy the city of Jericho, that's judgment. And then only Rahab will be saved and her family, that's redemption. But then the people of Israel will take over the land because from them, God will bless the whole world. That's new creation. If you can think this way and read this way, it will be profitable. See, our lives are also patterned in this way, in this pattern. Our lives are patterned this way. If we just pause for a second and look back at our mistakes, the mistakes that we made, and you look, at, you look back at it, the reason why we make mistakes is because we were not able to see the big picture because we were caught up in the moment. Eventually, we suffer the consequences, judgment, and then we come back to God and repent. That's redemption. And then you start all over again. That's new creation. Are you seeing this? Take, for example, the story of the prodigal son. This guy asked for his inheritance. He's not supposed to do that, but he asked for it. And then he cashed out. He spent all his fortunes on women in gambling and drugs. And then he went bankrupt. That's it for him. And so he found himself at the very lowest point in his life where he was taking care of pigs. Pigs are the very thing that, God, that the Jews hate. They don't eat pigs. They don't touch pigs. They don't take care of pigs. They have no business taking care of pigs. But this guy, a Jew, is taking care of pigs. Why? Because he mismanaged everything. And so he realized one day I'll go, he's going to go back to his father. So he said, I'm going to go back to my father because the slaves in my father, in my father's house, were treated differently. So I'm going to go back to him. And I'm going to plead for mercy. And so he did. He went back home. But his father ran before him and with open arms accepted him. A- it is very interesting how the story of the prodigal son went out because his father gave him a ring, a robe, and sandals. One of those things. Those things are symbols of restoration. That's redemption. And then very interestingly, this is what Luke chapter 15, verse 24 said. Luke 15:24 For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. New creation. It's a new beginning. See, there is pattern in how God works in history. There's pattern in how God works in our lives. And I'm very sure we can all relate to this because at one point in our life, we have become the prodigal son where we have decided to live our lives the way we want, our terms, our way. But if we start looking at the big picture I'm telling you, we can make better choices and fewer mistakes. You see, many mistakes that we do as grown ups were mistakes related to our inability to wait until we are ready to make those decisions. Because if you think about it, the right time to make major decisions in life is when we can truly say that we are mature enough, prepared enough to make them. Like, say, for example, in the area of relationships. When do you get engaged, be be in a relationship? Or everything that goes with it, at least. Or when do you make choices about friends and and family and career? You know, those big life choices in life. You do that when you're mature enough, when you're ready to make decisions. Take, for example, the marshmallow test. Have you ever heard of the marshmallow test? All right, this is very interesting. Marshmallow tests is designed for children to see their ability to delay gratification. And this also marks their future success in life. So what's a marshmallow test? A marshmallow test is when a child is given one marshmallow, a big pink marshmallow. And then she's told to wait for 15 minutes not to eat the marshmallow. And if she can wait, it will be doubled afterwards. See, if a child gets the big picture and visions of two marshmallows, she will do everything in her power to stay away from eating the marshmallow and not eat it. Everything in her power to do that. If we can, I think, if we can also do that, wait for the time when we are ready, when we are mature enough to make major decisions in life, then we will make better decisions and fewer mistakes. The only time we can do that is if we see the big picture. And the interesting thing is, is that God assured that the Israelites will have their own inheritance. And this is their inheritance. Canaan was their inheritance. But it comes with condition. One condition is that they do not take away the things devoted to destruction. The things that are for God. Do not touch them. Do not look at them. Do not even have any interest on them. But if they do... They will become the thing for destruction themselves. Now, we know what happened to Israel in history. First, the Babylonians, then the Romans. And we know up up to this point, there are no original walls in Jerusalem and no original temple in Jerusalem. No walls, no temple. They have become the thing of destruction. I think that the reason why we keep making bad choices, even the Israelites, other than the fact that we do not see the big picture is because we are distracted. That's the word, distracted. See, there's a constant urge to check your Facebook, your Instagram, your TikTok. Uh, the interesting thing about TikTok and Instagram is this. It's genius. Why? Because there's no story in TikTok and Instagram. There's no beginning. There's no ending. It's an endless scrolling of videos and pictures. You will spend the whole day without even saying, this is enough. I, you know, I reached the end. Nothing like that. And there's this urge to, you know, to check, to be in constant vigilance to check what's happening, what's happening. And if you think that because you're not, you don't have Facebook, you're off the hook, no you're not. Because well, right now, you're thinking of lunch. You're thinking of Bengals or, <laughs> or Rams, or whatever you're thinking, if you're not in the moment. Even if you're not checking Facebook, there are constant distractions that we have as parents. We think about mortgages. We think about bills to pay. We think about another holiday, another sale, another birthday, another vacation. See, we are distracted by so many things. And the reason why we are distracted is because we do not see the big picture in life. We are distracted by these little things that take away the essentials in life. The point is that these little things drag us to the point that it has preoccupied our lives. And I say it's time for a reality check. Ask yourselves, what is the big picture? How will all these things that I do and interact with, the people I interact with, going to help me fulfill my true calling? See. There are three issues that are very important here. Number one is your calling. Number two is your relationships. And number three is your time and money management. If you can put these three things in order, you're good to go. So the question is, what's my calling? What am I doing right now? What's my priority in life? Am I doing everything I can in my power to fulfill my calling? What's my calling in the first place? Here's what you can do. Number one, I want you to pause. Like the six day march, you pause. Not literally though, but pause and think through what's your calling, what's your priority? What are the non-negotiables and essentials in my life right now? Number two, after your six day march, after you pause and think about all these things, you have to make a decision in life. You have to drop everything that is distracting you from fulfilling your calling. And if you must, you go through all your friends in Facebook, 1,000 of them, and not all of them are your friends, really. That's the truth, right? Not all of them are your friends. Some of them, y- you don't even know, they just befriended you, asked you uh, to respond to their friendship. But, but the, <laughs> the thing is, we, keep we are distracted because we keep on checking, uh, b- we keep on envying their vacations and their new house and their new cars and their new bags See, it's distracting for us, and we can avoid it if we want to. With regard to time and money, you will have to put yourselves in order here. you have to put your house in order. Uh, Look at me. Black Friday is evil. Cyber Monday is the devil. Uh, No, it's not literal, literal like that. But I'm saying that we don't have to keep spending our money. We have to be wise in our money management because that is what, is what God is expecting from us. I'm going to try to land it and close this. I'm going to ask Hannah to play the keyboards here now. I'd like to contemplate at this point. We get distracted from whatever that's happening right now, from the tragedy, from the crisis of this world, from the pandemic, because we don't see the big picture. And the story of Joshua chapter 6 is giving us the big picture. There's a pattern here. Judgment, redemption, new creation. What I want you to do is to look into your life and see what God is doing in your life. Judgment, redemption, new creation. See, we as a church are undergoing the same thing here. We have a crisis at hand. But what do we do right now? Do we wait until the pandemic's over so that we can rebuild our lives? No, we have to start right now. In fact, our, our uh, theme for this year is faith relaunch. We have to relaunch our faith again. We don't have to wait for anything because today is the time, the time to do this. There's a time for us to build our dreams. I understand that you wanna build your dreams for yourself, for your family, for your future. But I want you guys also to build your dream for us, for the church. Now imagine, imagine if all of us will see the big picture. Imagine if all of us will harness all our energy, all our resources, all our time, so that we can move this kingdom of God even an inch in this place. Imagine what God will do through us. And I'm a dreamer. I'd encourage you to dream as well. Let's dream for God. February twenty-seven is going to be our anniversary, 28th anniversary. There's so many things that we can do more for God. It's not too late. Today is the day where we can do that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again for reminding us today that today is the time, and no other day but today is the time where we can refocus our lives where we can collect ourselves so that we can relaunch our faith in you with new inspiration with new encouragement Father would you forgive us because in the past we've been making mistakes because we do not see the big picture because we are distracted by so many things we are even distracted with this pandemic Father allow us to get back on track to see our real calling as a church that you have called us to disciple people. And there's no, no other calling but to disciple people. Father, allow us that these holidays will not be a distraction to us, that these school holidays will not be a distraction to us, that these purchases will not be distractions to us, but that we will be of one mind and be focused with our hearts and our minds to our true calling. Father, we pray, Father, That even as we gather every Sunday, I pray that you will allow our friends, our neighbors, those whom we can reach, to be blessed. I know that you can do a lot of things through us, Father. I pray that you will use us to bless. Open our mouths. When there are opportunities to converse with people about your grace and about your salvation, I pray that you will give us the courage to open our mouths. Allow us, Father, to collect ourselves so that we know the story of what you're doing in our lives so we can tell and share other people these things. Father, you are good. I pray that you will continue your goodness in our lives. In Christ, we pray.